Good evening, people of hope. Good evening. I'm Pastor Stephen. We are in our series, Come to Me. And this week is Strength to the Weary from Isaiah 40. We'll journey through Israel's homelessness in Babylon. And we'll explore how we all long for our true home. Let's start this journey as all journeys should. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are our true home. In the midst of so many things happening in our lives and in our world, we quickly become weary, anxious, discouraged. Only you can give us rest. Only you can renew us refresh us, regenerate us from the inside out. Holy Spirit, we are yours. Give us that resurrection life that you have begun in our baptism. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's church said, amen. amen. Homelessness is a skill knowing how to find meals, where to find shelter, and what to gather for supplies. She had none of these skills. Her father had spoiled her from her earliest moments. Banquet feasts, exotic pets, and even a walled garden for her playroom. But she and her husband broke away from the family, and she found herself evicted from her dream home bankrupt and homeless, with nothing but the clothes on her back, which, of course, also came from her father. That's how she and Adam get their start. When the first humans, our great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfathers, grandfather and grandmother, were exiled from paradise. Since Eve's day, we all experience a sense of homelessness, a longing for a permanent place in this world. Theologian Walter Brueggemann wrote these words in the 1970s, yet they ring very true today. The sense of being lost, displaced, and homeless is pervasive in American culture. In sociological terms, we've become a nation of strangers highly mobile and rootless. In psychological terms, we hear it in the top 40 songs of our youth. In the fear of the old, they're forgotten. In the helplessness of the poor. This, of course, is not new. The Bible itself concerned itself with the issue of being displaced and yearning for a place. Indeed, the Bible promises precisely what the modern world denies. End quote a place to belong. One such passage is Isaiah 40. Our reading begins at Isaiah 40, verse 1. Let's read this together. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. So the question is, comfort from what? Well, to understand that, we have to understand the whole story of Isaiah. Now, many books of the Old Testament are actually collections of writings. 
with multiple authors merged onto one scroll. The book of Isaiah is no exception. The book has three sections, which scholars call first Isaiah, second Isaiah, and third Isaiah. Hey, you already know this. This is great. So first Isaiah chapters one through 39 contain the prophecies of Isaiah from the eighth century BC. Isaiah warns that Israel will fall to their enemy, Babylon. This section ends with God rescuing King Hezekiah from Babylon, but also warning that his descendants will fall to Babylon eventually. Second Isaiah, chapters 40 through 54, fast forward 200 years. Israel has fallen. Isaiah's name drops out entirely and an anonymous author takes his place. Enslaved in Babylon, Israel cries out for God to rescue her. Now this author writes in 6th century Hebrew, clearly someone living in Babylon and experiencing the exile firsthand. Then, 3rd Isaiah, chapters 55 through 66, fast forward 50 more years. As another anonymous author finishes the story, God answers Israel's prayer and rescue her, rescues her from Babylon. Yet, this author also points forward to the day when God will send a Messiah who will rescue Israel once and for all. So the book of Isaiah is really three books written hundreds of years apart, telling the whole story that Isaiah started. First, Israel will fall. Second, Israel has fallen, but will be rescued. Third, Israel has been rescued, but will be rescued once and for all by Israel's true Messiah. Spoiler alert, that's Jesus. And so Isaiah 40 is the start of second Isaiah. As this anonymous prophet writes from exile, the prophet continues, verse two, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The prophet cries out to God, we've suffered enough, God. Come rescue us. Here's how they've suffered. Now, the Babylonians were evil and cruel. And so if there are young ears next to you, you might want to cover them as they give this next description. Here's how they suffered. The Babylonian armies surround Jerusalem at night, torches in hand. They break down the gates, burn down the temple, capture King Zedekiah, slaughter his sons before his eyes, then gouge out his eyes so it's the last sight he sees. They strip the survivors naked, chain them together and drag them off to Babylon where the Babylonians work them to death torture them for amusement and force them to worship pagan gods. You can uncover those young years now. Israel feels like their suffering is more than they can bear. Have you ever felt like your suffering is more than you can bear? Your job feels suffocating. Your marriage feels strained. 
Your finances feel stretched. Your body feels stressed. If God can comfort Israel in Babylon, surely he can comfort you as well. Verse three, the prophet continues. A voice calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Remember, this is the 6th century BC, hundreds of years before those paved Roman roads you might have seen on the History Channel. Have anyone seen those paved Roman roads? Maybe a picture, maybe visited? No one. All right, I'm the only one who watched the History Channel growing up. So maybe they don't play history anymore. I'm not too sure. Babylonian and Assyrian kings left road construction to the locals. And so as a result, most roads were rough trails unsuited for transport. Now, there were a few roads that were staked out, leveled, and maintained. These were called the wagon roads, yet these were few and far between. And even these wagon roads weren't straight, winding around hills and valleys. Yet the prophet says God isn't just going to rescue Israel and send them back home. He's going to send them back home on a straight highway. In order to do that, well, whoever this voice is out in the wilderness, he would have to move mountains. That's exactly what the prophet says he'll do. Isaiah 40, verse 4. Every valley shall be what? Raised up. And every mountain and hill will be what? Made low. The ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The prophet promises that God will make a way where there is no way. 600 years later, he does exactly that. In fact, Mark begins his gospel with this very passage from Isaiah. Mark chapter one, verse one, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah the son of God, as it is written in, where? Isaiah, the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And Mark's gospel continues at verse nine. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. Through Jesus, God made a way where there seemed to be no way, a way back to relationship with God, a straight highway back home. How in your life has God made a way where there seems to be no way? Has he healed a loved one when a medical diagnosis seemed grim? Has he broken an addiction over which you are powerless? 
Has he opened a door that you never thought possible? God works miracles all through the Bible. And God still works miracles today. How do we respond to these mighty works of God? We praise him. Isaiah 40 ends with a beautiful hymn of praise to God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, as we just sang together. The creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding, no one can fathom. Ancient Near Eastern pagans believed that their gods could get tired. In fact, they slept just like humans do. They needed food, water, and shelter. They also got distracted, disinterested, and altogether missed a lot of what was happening. Our God never misses a thing. Verse 29, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, although parents, you may think that's not the case. (laughs) And young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This promise is as true today as it was 2,600 years ago. Our God gives strength to the weary. In the words of Jesus, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We've heard Israel's story. How do we live what we've learned? Care for the physically homeless and care for the spiritually homeless. First, care for the physically homeless. This Advent, you, the people of hope, delivered over a thousand Christmas gifts to children in need, over a thousand meals to area families for Thanksgiving and Christmas, and raised over $43,000 for the Salvation Army. This Friday and Saturday, you, the people of hope, have an opportunity to fill the Shields Arena again and pack thousands of meals for Feed My Starving Children. Second, care for the spiritually homeless. This here is my sleeping bag. I just got back this last weekend from our ninth grade retreat where our conferments prepared to affirm their baptism. While I had a great time, I missed my family. I missed my own bed. I missed home. Zach was there with me. Shout out to Zach on tech. It's a great trip. Well, see, the exile was a time of deep weariness under cruel slave drivers. But the source of their weariness was deeper still. It was a longing to be back 
home. Not just back to Jerusalem, but back to the garden with God, to that relationship they once had with their heavenly father. We all feel that loneliness, that longing to return home to a place we've never experienced fully, yet our hearts long for that far off country called the promised land of God. C.S. Lewis writes about this in his book, The Weight of Glory. He says, in speaking of this longing for our own far off country, I'm trying to rip open an inconsolable secret in each one of you. The secret which pierces with such sweetness. The secret that we cannot hide and cannot tell that we desire to do both. We cannot tell it because it's a desire for something we've never actually experienced. We cannot hide it because our experience constantly suggests it. We call it beauty, but this is a cheat. The books or the music that we thought had the beauty, it'll betray us. It was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing. For they are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. Unquote. Friends, you're still sleeping in a sleeping bag. Your true home is with God to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Through Jesus, God has rescued you from slavery to sin upon the cross of Calvary. He's made straight in the desert a highway for you to come home. Confess your sins to your heavenly father. Be welcomed back into your true home and find his rest. I'm reading this great book right now. It's called The Confessions of St. Augustine. Has anyone heard of it? Confessions of St. Augustine, a few hands. On page one, he has this great line. Augustine writes, you have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our hearts are restless till they rest in you. May you find your home in Jesus Christ. May you rest your weary head upon his promises. May he comfort you, speak tenderly to you, and proclaim that your sins have been paid in full. May he make your way straight. May every valley be raised up and every mountain be made low. May his glory be revealed in your life for all to see. May you soar on wings like eagles. May you run and never grow weary. May you walk and never be faint. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, may these beautiful promises that you gave us 2,600 years ago come true in our own lives. For you have made them true in the history of Israel. You've made them true in the work of the cross. 
And now, Lord, yet again, you are showing the evidence that they are true in our lives as well. You make a way where there seems to be no way. Help us to walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen.